Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the podcast series, Mum, You've Got This. If this is your first time listening, there is an intro episode that you could go back to and it explains exactly what the series is about. Um, The person featuring today on episode 12 is Meredith. Um, Meredith is someone I know through our council-ran mums group, actually, which is really exciting. So Meredith, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. My pleasure. Let's start with sort of where um, things are at for you right now. So your family dynamic, what you do for work, that kind of thing. Yep. So I um, am in a same-sex relationship. So my partner and I have a three-year-old son Mm -hmm. um, and I am a social worker by training and I do that for four hours a week at the moment, a very small amount. Um, And I also run a um, business. Which is really interesting. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. Um, Let's talk about, I guess, um, yourself and what's kind of led you up to the stage that you're at now. So um, first of all, your career path, I guess, sort of coming out of, um, you know, whatever schooling you did and where that's kind Mm. of on what your sort of you know career is and then to what you're sort of doing yeah sure so um, I'm a country kid I grew up in rural New South Wales and um, but I and I did go to university I did um, social work I fell into it um, in my second year of uni and was one of those really fortunate people that found uh, found the career straight away at the age of you know 17 18 um, so I finished high, I finished uni when I was about 21 mm-hmm. 22 and um, was a yeah rip roaring social worker out there to save the world and um, <laughs> make a difference um, and just so naive really in the scheme of things mm-hmm. um, what do you say so that? I, well, I just, I cringe really at, you know, the things that I used to do. My first job was a, a youth and family worker and I'm barely not a youth person myself sitting in these families' homes talking with parents about how to parent their teenagers yeah. and trying to give them some insight and strategies into that and I just kind of cringe. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we've all got to cut our teeth and we start somewhere and I ended up... Um, yeah, I ended up moving on into, I've stayed in social work and because I, I do absolutely love it and I ended up um, working in child protection, um, not by intent, but it's where I ended up and then I also developed a passion for that um, and all that it comes with with that. Um, and then I only stopped doing that when I fell pregnant. Hmm. And the social work side of things where you're in child protection, I've always been really intrigued um, about that side of things and how you found mm. that and how you sort of desensitised or whether you did desensitise or how you kind of shut off from, you know, probably some really traumatic things that you would have seen and heard. Mm. Yeah, I think um, I had never planned to be in in child protection because I didn't want to be part of the government and I was always going to work in a non-profit but um, circumstances like just you know traveling overseas and needing to get a job when I got back sort of meant you got into child protection because that's where you could get a job uh, really quickly and for decent pay and I planned to um, 
you know, leave pretty quickly. But I kind of got hooked. And I got hooked because you it gives you the opportunity to have a massive impact on some really disadvantaged people's lives um, and you get access and opportunity that are just um, it's such a privilege to have mm. and you get to work with some really amazing and vulnerable people. Um, and I got, I, I like that. I, I think I've got the capacity to um, compartmentalise. Um, I mean, I worked very hard and I worked lots of long hours and I just got really passionate about learning about the best ways that I could provide an intervention, conduct an assessment and, and create change for children and their families. Mm. Um, so I think because I got so passionate about it, you know, I, and, and, you know, I guess there's a really strong culture within those agencies to um, support and for humour. I mean, it's tough and some people don't cope well in it for sure, but, um, but, but humour and support and just that camaraderie of we're in this together sort of stuff kind of gets you through. Mm. Um, so I've kind of, yeah, I, I had the ability to compartmentalise. I don't know how I'd go now so much. Mm, now, now I have enough. a child. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Just not quite as resilient as I used to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> blame that on all the hormones as well. Just- Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So talk about then, um, you know, sort of when you met your partner and, you know, how long you guys were together for and the decision to kind of start a family. Mm. Uh, We've been together twice now. We had a little four-year hiatus. Um, And then we reunited um, in 2000 and... um, I guess we've been on and off together for, you know, 15 years, but kind of actually probably together for 11 and a half years. So uh, we met, we met when we were at uni, um, when we were 19, but then we got together when we happened to be overseas at the same time. I had no plans at all to be with someone from Australia. I was going overseas to um, meet an amazing um, English person, male or female. And, um, I ended up with someone that I already knew um, <laughs> from Australia, from Newcastle. I was like, what? This is not the plan. Oh. Um, so anyway, we, but we've travelled together and had, you know, um, bought houses and, you know, lived some really fun times together. Um, when we, we separated for four years, as I said, and then we got back together. And when we got back together, I was, we were 35, 34, 35. And I was like, well, we're kind of, you know, we're back together. This is for good. Um, your body clock's ticking. I think we need to give having a child a go. Yep. Um, none of us had that massive drive. We need to have a child. But but I think we kept revisiting it enough that we were like, yeah, let's give it a go. And, of course, we're going to use IVF. Well, for us, it was using a donor. Mm-hmm. So it was a very considered decision, but we kind of thought, well, let's give it a go. We're going to give it a go three times. And if it doesn't work, then that's our story. We're finished. We're okay. We're going to be happily two people living a great life. Mm. Um, but I felt pregnant straight first go. So wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really fortunate. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So when you say you're going to give it a go three times, was that like three like whole collection processes you were prepared to do or it was? The- I th- no, I th- yeah, no, I think we're just going to go, like, try and collect um, or collect as many eggs as we could and probably have three goes at um, 
insemination of an embryo. So we definitely I went straight to IVF because um, I'm considered medically infertile from um, a birth thing that I had when I was born. I was born with gastroschisis or gastroschisis, mm. which is a weird medical thing where my intestines were outside of my body and um, okay. they all got put back inside my body when I was a baby and I was very fortunate to survive. So because of that, I'm considered medically infertile. So I was able to go to IVF straight away um, using Medicare. Okay. Um, so we're going to go three rounds of, yeah, I guess an embryo. Um, it might have been a couple of egg collections. Um, yeah. I think, we, yeah, we created two embryos the first the first go. Um, and the first implantation of the first embryo worked. Wow. Mm. So what, um, what was that decision process like around looking for a donor? I know you ended up having someone that you mm. know. Mm. Um, before, so a number of, many, many years before we decided, uh, we happened to have um, lunch with a friend of ours um, who, who was moving up to Mackay, back home to Mackay, leaving Melbourne. And, having, and we've known him since university. Um, really amazing guy. And um, everybody wanted him to be their sperm donor at uni and uh, everyone adores him. And then anyway, we were having this lunch with him and he's, he's like, yeah, I'd be, a, we just came up somehow, I can't even remember. And he said, oh, I'd be a donor for you guys. And I'm like, really? really? Like, he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I know you, I, I understand your values. We've got the same value system. He said, I'm, I've got older now. I'm, I'm actually open to the idea. I've had friends who have been through the process um, and I can't understand it. So we've all just grown up really and understand and, and just matured and got some comfortability with ourselves. and. You know, we've known him, you know, for 20 years and uh, he's a social worker as well, um, art therapist and just a genuinely really awesome guy. Anyway, so we parked that. but And then we revisited it though in 2000, no, I was in um, 2000 and when did I get pregnant? 16, 15, we revisited it with him um, and he said, yep, it's the office still there. He talked to his partner about it. He's, they're totally fine with it. We talked about, and he and then we you know supported them to come to Adelaide, which is where we did IVF, and um, and have the counselling with us and do. He was really happy to do all the blood tests that had to happen, and it's it's been a really excellent choice for us. Mm. Um, we've been really fortunate. We're really clear. We had really clear expectations, um, and so far so good. Um, Perfect outcome. Yeah. No. Yeah, really good outcome. Um, I mean, I know things can go really pear-shaped for people mm. um, with known with known donors and without the legality that um, uh, without the legal structure, I guess that a um, what's the word when you're an unknown donor, um, an unknown donor, I guess. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, really yeah. complex. <laughs> <laughs> so, does he uh, know your son or have any? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, he's, yeah, Uncle Adrian and Uncle Mark definitely know Augie. Augie's my son. Yeah. Um, and they now live in Samoa and we're going to go over and visit them this year. And so we kind of, yeah, we catch up special events. They've come to Augie's birthday. Um, yeah, sort of a couple of times a year we catch up just so there's a relationship and they will work it out. I guess where it's at at the moment is, 
Augie will always know who his donor is and um, and Adrian will always have a role in his life and but they will work out how much and how little it is as, as I guess they grow up. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. He's a lucky boy, Augie, to have mm. these three or four really significant figures in his life. So absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So what was yeah. the experience like being pregnant, and then I guess birth and your early stages at home with with a newborn? Yeah, I don't think I really clicked into the maternal phase. I was busy working thirteen hour days doing a child protection manager position in Alice Springs. And um, it was just a formality getting pregnant. <laughs> it was kind of like, yeah, I've just got to ride this journey. I had a lot of back pain up in between my shoulder blades because my because um, of my scarring from when I was from my baby from when I was a baby. Okay. Um, Augie sat really high in my and, and um, really pushed my rib cage out at my back. So I remember that being one of the most difficult things. Yeah. Um, the fatigue for sure, but um, yeah, um, that's kind of you know that was kind of I just kind of kept busy and um, it you know time ticked on. He was breech, um, so I did a lot of um, I did all the things to try and make him spin around, like lying upside down on an ironing board with my head down and my feet up. Um, <laughs> yep. <laughs> putting a heat putting a heat pack on one end and a cold pack on the other oh, end of yeah. him to try and make him spin. Yeah. Yep. I went to that spinning website, you know, that make yeah, there's a website that makes you, you know, the, with some tips and tricks on making baby spins. I did the Amoxa sticks. So I'd got an acupuncturist to give me the Amoxa stick for burning those on my little toes. Like all the things. Yeah. Um and um, none of it worked because pretty much, and then they tried to physically spin him around. Um, so I've got a really graphic video of them actually pushing like the, the doctor and the nurse trying to make him spin around. And like my, you know, my, my stomach's almost in a Z, you know, and he just wouldn't spin. And I don't think he had room because there's so much internal scarring to spin. Mm-hmm. So, um, which is fine. And, uh, but the day of, after the spinning, uh, the afternoon after the attempt to spin him around like really manually, um, my waters broke. And, uh, and so he, and so then I was like, no, nah, I'm having him natural. I'd want to try and have him naturally. I know he'll be breech. The doctors weren't keen on it, but they were like, all right, we'll give you a go. Um, my waters broke, but I didn't go into labour. So they're like, no, nah, you need to you need to come in for cesarean. I'm like, nah, I still want to try and go into labour. Mm. Um, I just wanted to try for a natural birth for the benefits of it and for the experience of it. Um, but, and at that point in time, Woogie wasn't distressed. Um, but after 24 hours, I had to start taking the um, antibiotics because I hadn't, um, hadn't gone into labour. And... Then about 30, that, and then we negotiated that would have a caesarean um, after 36 hours if I still hadn't gone into labour and, like, birthed. Mm-hmm. And I had gone in, I did go into labour about um, six hours before the um, caesarean was scheduled. And they, but I just, I 
had agreed that it was probably in everyone's best interest, Augie's and my own, mm. to have a cesarean. So it was a planned cesarean in the end. Okay. Um, and, and that all went pretty smoothly. Just want to say um, there for anyone listening. So I had exactly the same thing with Ivy. I tried mm-hmm. everything to try and get her to spin and she was breached and did the, I can't remember what they call that thing now where they try and turn them, which is the weirdest, most uncomfortable Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It said it was painful. I didn't find it painful. It was just, nah. it didn't feel good or right. Like, um, and yeah. she got kind of transverse and then like a couple of hours later, oh. popped straight back up anyway. Um, <laughs> into breach. But then with Billy, it's the same thing. Up to about 34 weeks, she was mm-hmm. as well. And I was like, you know, this is inevitable. It's, I'm just due to something's going on in my body. I'm just going to have breech babies. But um, when we were on holiday and I was swimming and I was swimming every day and I was swimming breaststroke and I can remember it as clearly as anything coming out of the water, sitting on like the banana lounge and all of a sudden it was just this pop and she just moved around. So for anyone who is listening that is, has a breach or has a breach baby in the future, trust mm. me, I swear by it. Mm. <laughs> being on, you know, forward and breaststroke and being weightless. I don't know yeah. whether that has yeah. to do with it or not, but it worked. So yeah. Um, anyway, so you had a cesarean. Um, everything was okay there. How was it when you brought Augie home and, and your newborn early days being a mum? Um, look, I, it was, it was good. It was a blur, you know, as, as I'm sure you all remember, like, don't remember. Mm. Um, I, I had a few challenges with breastfeeding, um, in that my, I actually stayed in hospital for six days. I was in Alice Springs. Um, Augie got, um, some low blood sugar. So I had to have a little intravenous drip, which is just the weirdest thing watching a baby getting a Mm. a needle put into their veins um and then I, I think I probably they didn't tell me this but I think I was probably a little bit of a challenging breastfeeding mum and <laughs> maybe anxious I don't know but yeah. I also had a lot of um really ropey breasts and um just some a lot of pain in the breastfeeding which they did that sort of ultrasound thing on to try and just un um to un clog yeah. my my breasts yeah. um so when I finally came home so I was a bit anxious probably after that, but a lot of, but it did all settle down and we just sort of got into, um, I guess, into a, a kind of a rhythm. I just remember being shocked that I had to wake up at night and feed the baby. Like I hadn't kind of really thought about this before. Before I, um, before, while I was pregnant, I'm like, how did you not think about this? Like how did you not think about the fact that the baby had to be fed every three hours? Yeah. So I, I was in a shock, but I was really like, like my, Ali was home for the first three months. Um, you know, I, I actually got to see um, Alice Springs for the first time because even though I'd been living there for 12 months, I just worked all the time. So okay. I, I had these, you know, gorgeous days sitting inside in the air conditioning and then it was stinking hot and we'd go for walks along the you know, the Todd River um, flowed for the first time in like, you know, five years or something. And um, yeah, so there were some really great memories about it and just some really slowing down of life and baby routine. It was so nice just being immersed in baby routine. Um, so I found it a slowing down of speed for me, okay. but also a real sleep. Of course, there was a sleep deprivation bit. 
but it was all this novelty, you know. And mm. yeah, I just kind of remember that. I mean, I know it was painful. I don't want to minimize like, it. It's crazy times, but and but it was just a real change of pace and yeah, a, a special time. Yeah. And so, how? At what stage did you then move to Melbourne? Because I met you at our first mum's group and I know our babies were very little, like three months old or something. Yeah, right? that's right. So I moved when we he had him in November and we moved in February. Okay. So three months later. Yeah, so it's pretty massive moving with a newborn. But, mm. um, yeah, but that was okay. And then I guess, because um, I know obviously something significant happened in your life not long after that stage before Augie turned one. Did you want to talk mm. about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh, yeah, in, when uh, Augie was 11 months, 10 months, I got, um, I found a, a lump in my breast, which turned out to not be um, mastitis or a blocked milk duct, but actually breast cancer. Um, and I, uh, interestingly, was going to fundraiser that you were running, L and was sitting next door next to one of our um, one of our other mums in the mums group and went, you know what, I've got this lump in my breast and it hasn't moved. I was sitting at this fundraiser hearing about all the stats, so I, I better go and check it out at the doctors. Mm. Um, and I did, and and because it had been there for about a month and hadn't moved, which you know wasn't behaving like a blocked milk duct. So yeah, I went to the doctor and um, I got sent off for the ultrasound pretty quickly. Uh, yes, it looks it looked like cancer. Got sent off for a biopsy. Yes, confirmed it's breast cancer. Better go and have some more scans. Uh, and it turned out it actually had already metastasized to my liver. So I went from a breastfeeding mum of a ten month old to having stage four breast cancer mm. at the age of thirty seven. Um, yeah, so it was pretty shocking. Um, it's hugely shocking. Mm. I remember having to stop being breastfeeding because the hormones from the breastfeeding can make cause the cancer to grow. That was I've got photos of. I remember brings tears to my eyes now. I think about that those last breastfeeding days. He was eleven months old. Um, and yeah, commenced treatment in the December um, of two thousand and seventeen. Uh, I had chemo, and then I had chemo for um about 12 months you know, a bit over 12 months and um lost my hair and all those things that happened um and then that's has worked and it still has worked um and but stopped working on the liver spot so i've only got i'm early stage stage four um and it's but the, and the chemo stopped working on my one liver or two liver spots. So I had some radiation um, at the beginning of uh, 2019 and that, that was on the liver spot. It's amazing technology. Mm. Um, and that has worked um, for now. So I, I, um, they kind of describe the cancer or well, the way I have to manage my breast cancer as like having a um, chronic illness like um, diabetes or something like that. But, mm. yeah, it's um, each every three months I go and have some more scans and I'm on a hormone um, tablet treatment now and get injections once a month and that sort of stuff to manage it. Um, 
and I'm, I've been put into menopause now. So I'm in a, a medically induced menopause. Mm-hmm. So I now have hot flushes instead, <laughs> which is a pain anyway. <laughs> so, mm. so I guess, um, you know, that's, you've gone through obviously a lot there, but it's sounded yeah. you know, as positive as it kind of can. Um, it is, it's pretty amazing um, at the moment. Yeah. 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 And you guys have done a lot since then too, right? Like, um, yeah. a lot of travel. I think it's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, um, it's, we had to, I think when you get those kind of diagnoses, you're like, right, you got to do, you got to live your best life now. Mm. Um, and that's travel is important to us. So we, um, we jumped on the plane and went to Italy for a month. Um, but then, but now we're in that, mm, okay, well, we've got a plan we'll definitely do a big overseas travel every second year mm-hmm. so we'll do we'll do um Samoa this year um and but we but it's also like you, you got to make some medium term plans yeah. as well <laughs> um so we kind of you can't you can live your best life and spend all your money now or um actually survive another 10 years 20 years because this you know because you know, um, science is making discoveries every Absolutely. day and you've got to live that medium term line. Yeah. So we started a business as well. <laughs> Which is awesome. So, um, so did you, cause obviously like pre all of that, how long were you actually planning on having off work with social work and did becoming yeah. a mum start to make you think, Oh, like, do I want to go back and do that? job or yeah how did that kind of yeah what were the plans and what has actually happened I guess yeah for sure so I I had planned sort of probably I did want to be a stay-at-home mum for probably two years I kind of had in my in my child development brain and trauma theory brain that I wanted to be a mum for a stay-at-home mum for two years Mm -hmm. and did you quit um, or did you have two years booked in I had I took 12 months, um, mat leave, and then I extended another 12 months. Okay. Yeah. So I had, yep. So I planned to go back to social work and child protection or probably social work, not child protection, um, in a part-time capacity when Augie turned two is kind of the intention. That was the rough plan. Yeah. Um, I didn't go back to work cause I was on, because I um, was having treatment instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have, but I went for a job interview and, um, oh gosh, beginning of last year, mm-hmm. um, back with my old work here in Melbourne. Um, and I thought this is the perfect job. It was two, it was part-time. It was working with Aboriginal children and families, which is what I love to do. Um, it was sort of in child protection, but, but a really protected role that you didn't get caught up in the really hectic day-to-day busy perfect job for me I thought two and a half days a week this is great but I really realized I went for the interview and it was in that process that I was like I'm not ready mm-hmm. it's not right yet and um but out of that I had reconnected with an old boss and um was able and she said look do you want to come back and do this part-time stuff that I'm doing now and um and I said, yeah, I'll give it a go. And it's really flexible um, and it's, you know, it's, it's sort of given me, enabled me to ease back in to work 
um, and build my confidence back up. So I think my confidence was really impacted by being away from so, for so long, yeah. like over you know, two years away. Um, and my, my memory was really affected by the treatment. So I wasn't, just couldn't have, didn't have the recall um, that I needed. Mm. Yeah. And then how that led to what you're doing now and explain what you're doing now. Yeah. So, yeah, so I, I have a property management, Airbnb property management company and that's, and we started that because I wanted to, um, we, we needed some more income and um, I wanted flexibility. Mm. And um, my dad told me about this and I was like, yeah, you know what? This is something that really ticks boxes for me. Um, I don't have to, I can be my own boss. I don't have, um, Ali really loves, I've loved property investing for a long time and, and I've always sort of done it as a side thing. I've renovated houses and um, so I have always had a, that sideline interest. Um, so it's a property kind of interest and Ali really got on board with it. She really loves staying in Airbnbs and likes looking at them. So I'm like, oh, let's do this. Um, and we just thought we'd test it out. So we've kind of started this property, this business, um, and it's um, and it, it has it has an exit strategy because you know we're going to build it up for a little while. I've got some exit strategies. It's low risk in terms of finances for us, and um, um, but it but it does bring in an income now, and it's something you know. The reality is even though living your best life and mum life, um, people think, well, you just need to have holidays and you don't want to work. My brain needs the stimulation though. Mm. And I, I have to be doing something. Mm. And, um, and I guess this has given me the something to do that I have a bit more control over. Um, although I feel like I'm working a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, uh, but I have some, you know, you put more effort in and you get some more out, you know, it's a bit different to a PAYG job, you know. Yeah, there's a lot yeah. more passion behind it, really. I mean, I know that you love your social work job and there's a lot of passion. And in I it. do. Yeah. 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 But when it's your own business, it's just, it's something, just something cool about seeing it, um, just building it and seeing it grow yeah. and flourish and, you know, getting a new client exactly. and all that kind of stuff. Like there's financial exactly. to do it, but there's just that. Yeah, just that reward of yeah. seeing yeah. something created grow. So, yeah, does right. um does Ali work full time? She does. Yeah, yeah. And so, what's the day that you do? Because um, I'm assuming your Airbnb stuff you can kind of do outside of sort of hours. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, and the day that you do work, the four is it that one sort of four hour shift that you do now in social work? That's right. That's so right. What happens? Do you use daycare or? Nanny, nanny. Yeah, we have a nanny. So we, yeah, we've been fortunate enough to find someone that um, has really clicked in our family. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, she comes two and a half days a week. So I do do some Airbnb work on one day. Um, and I try and, um, and she just said, and, and on a half day, I was trying to do some yoga or something like that. <laughs> um, but I often do Airbnb stuff as well. So yeah. It's um, been a good fit for our family. And awesome. Mm. So what's, um, do you, do you think you will have, um, or, you know, you or Ali will together will have another child? Have you guys talked about whether you sort of do that or mm. what that path kind of looks like? 
Yeah, we certainly have. Um, so we've just waited to get some more clear on my scans. Yeah. And I guess because we've had, you know, it's been a real moral dilemma for us. Do you bring another child into the world where you know that one of the parents um, might have a short life expectancy? We know the stats around, they're pretty confronting stats around um, stage four breast cancer. There's sort of a five-year lifespan. Um, but, of course, you know, there's always the exceptions to that rule. Um, and, you know, in all the groups that I'm part of, there's lots of women who live a lot past, have who have stage four who, you know, are living 15 years and 20 years down the track. Mm. Um, so we've had a real moral dilemma about that because you just don't know. Anything can change. Like I'm in a really great position right now, but anything can change any day. Um but we'd made the decision that we wanted Augie to have a sibling. Yeah. Um, and Ali um, is going to give it a go. And so I can't, I can't have any more children because of the medication. Um, but um, yeah, we're going to try IVF and again, and um, Ali's going to be the carrier. So mm. exciting. And the donor mm. is the same, your friend? Yeah. Same donor. Yeah. So we've actually got one embryo that was frozen, so we're going to try and use that embryo first. And then if that doesn't work, then we'll use we'll harvest Ali's eggs and have another go that way. Well, good luck to you guys. It's very exciting. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what, do you, what have you sort of found, I guess, um, aside from obviously you know, your cancer and everything that's sort of mm. happened there. Like what have you what have you found has been the biggest challenges in, you know, becoming a parent and, you know, the I guess that you trying to build your career and build something up. Yeah. Having a family as well. Yeah. Um I think the biggest challenge is switching your head between, you know, your business or your work and then your your child. Yeah. and and being present in each of those things <laughs> when you're there and being able to switch from those and have that, you know, flexibility in your mind and your headspace, you know. Mm. Um, Any pointers on how to do that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, well, no, you talked about it in your podcast and I, and I really echo this, like this, you, you, you've got to put your phone away. Mm. For so so Airbnb is is run on an on a phone, and um, but I you can get caught up in the emails and all that other stuff. And when uh, for me, it's really about moderating that. You know, when mm. I do that evening routine with my son, I put the phone away. I have a meal with him, um, and I'm present until he goes to bed, and then I can get on the phone for as long as I need to and do all that responsive stuff. Um. I've found it really challenging to be sort of running the business at home and think, you know, when and, and when he's you know gone down for a nap, which he's in the process of dropping to quickly you've got to have you've got to, you've got forty five minutes where he's asleep, you know, do some of the business right now. Because you know, when he's not asleep, you wanna be present with him, but then your head's you know, your head's halfway, you know, yeah. half between present with him. Mm. And half, you know, also halfway being, you've got to do healthy things. You've got to do healthy things, be stress-free for your mm. cancer, 
you know, um, mm. you know, be present for your son, but you know, keep, but you've got all these ideas and things you want to do for the business. So mm. I think I've taken probably the last 12 months of, of working on some of that. Some of the things that have helped is really being systematized about the business. So, um, when I've got the space to do it, I'm really clear about what I'm doing at that time. So it's efficient. You know, you've got goals, you've got tasks, you're writing, you've got those lists ready to go. So when you've got your 45 minutes, you've got your daycare for that one day or whatever it is you can do, you, you just smash it out. Mm. Um, I work in the evenings, um, but, but when I'm with him, it is about trying to be with him. It does. Of course, that's not all the time. Yeah. Um, but when I, and, and I don't have, and I guess it's about not having to be with him um, out and about doing an activity, but just being present in the home. And the, and it's been about, some of it's been about going back to the, remembering the things that I actually really enjoy. And for me, it's actually making bread, like I do sourdough bread. And I realise that that's actually a hobby and it's something that's really nurturing and nourishing for me. And I just have to still do it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and just doing those bits and pieces and the other thing is just trying to work out how my child can participate in some of that stuff and how uh, and I guess the exercise is the other one is like you know we just need to kind of do some of that stuff together and he needs me to he needs a role model anyway Mm. um that 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 healthy behavior exercising eating well that kind of stuff so I'm not neglecting him when I'm doing those self-care things he's actually seeing me Mm. Um, role model behaviour. So he sees me do the exercise and he's entertained, you know, doing playing around me and probably crawling all over me at the same time while I'm trying to do some exercise or Mm. sitting in the pram and having to be patient for 40, you know, for 35 minutes while we do go for a walk, you know. Mm. So there's, I'm there's skills that he's learning. I I guess I'm having to give myself, you know, not a hard time for trying to do all the things I need to do for me when he's not impacted. No, actually, he needs to see and witness this role modeling, that good role modeling, you know. Mm, plus, I think like just taking that time out for yourself anyway, mm. you become, you're doing it for yourself, but you are doing it for the, them in the sense that, yeah, definitely mm-hmm. seeing it and witnessing it for sure. But also, I know for me, I'm, I become a better person when I'm, when I do those things. Yeah. I become absolutely right. Like, cause you've just, yeah. you've just got more energy. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. You're so so rational and level-headed about everything. (laughs) How do I get more of that? I'm far too emotional. Uh, Oh, never. No, 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 no. Oh, my God. There's been some highly emotional times and I think, you know, yeah, I'm I'm sound very – look, I am a fairly pragmatic kind of person and I sound Mm. it now, but there's certainly been some really – you know, there's been times where I'm – lying on the couch tired and teary and you know getting my shit together Mm. um to go and be with him and be the best mum that I have and sometimes yeah but sometimes it's turning play school on and just sitting there with him you know yeah Yeah. it's that and that's what you've got to do it's not oh there's been lots of when I'm tired it's it's been really challenging you know and and emotional yeah Mm. I think you know and that gets impacted sometimes by the stuff that you read. Like, you know, I read things to empower myself, but then you just ruminate on it. And, I, you know, I read lots of feminist stuff mm-hmm. um, about, you know, that we, we do have these, you know, being about being parents and 
um, you know, mums, we've got to be all these things, be these providers, be these role models, and we've just, you know, but some of this stuff is constructed by the patriarchy and, mm. and men are caught up in the patriarchy as much as women are caught up in the patriarchy. You know, mm. you, know you ruminate about all that stuff. I'm like, hang on a minute, don't get caught up in this cycle of having to do all these things because this is a created reality, you know, you don't have to, that the, the patriarchy has created. So, you know. And then I read things about the worthy, you know, Brene Brown stuff about worthiness and these expectations that society puts on us that we're only worthy. Yeah, you know it? I love, yeah. I just, she's got, she does this talk on, um, this TED talk on, um how vulnerability. Yeah, mm. the whole, how the wholehearted mm. live and the wholehearted are. Yeah vulnerable you've seen that talk that was the most eye-opening thing for me and I have started to kind of bring a lot of stuff that I do back to that like I think especially doing these podcasts this is being totally Mm. vulnerable and yes when I did my first one I I put it out there and then I thought oh my god what have I done like people know so much about my life now and and then just randomly through just you know just natural timing not long after that my friend had sent me she's like I think you'd really like this and mm. oh man it was like one of the most amazing things I've ever seen mm. yeah and it's so true mm. so yeah uh, she's 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 um you know it's pretty amazing research and I think but the the worthiness thing is about you know that we are enough mm. already mm. and we don't have to be the perfect mum um the slimmest person um like we've got all but the society society gives us all these things you know you're only good enough if you're slim but you're not trying to be too hard about you, know, you don't try to be though it's just you're naturally that way you're naturally yeah. good looking you don't try to be good looking don't take away your time from your child you're natural you know you, you you're present all the time you're like all this stuff oh. like that's what somebody says but but she like annoys she, isn't it yeah, she teaches about, yeah, you're enough as you are, worthiness mm. and that wholeheartedness you're talking about, you know, mm. is that we are enough as we are. Mm. And yeah, it's challenging. <laughs> yeah, it's all right though. But there's, yeah, I just found it. Um, and like I said to you just before we started recording, like, I, you you know, um, you go through different, air, um, like a roller coaster of emotions of feeling, mm. you know, powerful and then vulnerable and yes. up and down and just all over the place and, um, and just remembering the key things that work for you that make you um, feel good and whether that's some of that self-selfish care stuff, whether that's certain things, yeah. you know, say for me, it's it's meditating and exercise and you yeah. know, technology-free time in the afternoons with my kids. Um, yeah. But for me, a big thing is, is for me, social media because I'll, uh, oh, if yeah. I get on Instagram or Facebook and stuff like that, um, and I see what other people are doing. Yeah, I feel happy mm-hmm. for you and what they're doing, but you can't help but just, um, mm-hmm. and whether you do it consciously or whether I think a lot of it happens subconsciously, you just go into mm-hmm. comparison and think, why don't I look like that or why don't I do that? Or, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. like a small snippet of, of potentially, it's not reality because it's got a filter on it. And it's just something that was yes. that small, you know, point in time and mm. happening all the time. So, mm. Mm, um totally agree with you totally yeah. agree with you have you got any other like hints and tips or advice or anything else you kind of want to you know impart or what sorry i interrupt you whatever you were about to say no no oh gosh i don't you know i i think someone said to me you know say yes to help and i agree say yes to help 
take dry and be um, the superhero on your own. Um, people want to help you. Mm. Um, I, yeah, I just, I just find other women amazing. <laughs> and yeah. so I just, you know, and I find you so brave and I, just, I don't know, I don't really have any, you know, massive tips and other than be kind and empathetic to yourself because, you know, you're doing an amazing job. Like we all are, you know, raising these little people and managing these competing demands that the world says we should or shouldn't do in certain ways. You know, I, I'm talking to myself right here. I'm not, no, 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 this no. is not how I, you know, I'm giving myself a self-talk. <laughs> this is not what I, I challenge, have a challenge with it every day, you know. Yeah, you're not alone. Yeah. 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 100%. Yeah. What's what's next for your family, for you and your family? Obviously, there's there's something hopefully exciting happening this year with the transfer and good luck mm. with all of that. Is there any and you've got Thanks. a big birthday and that kind yeah, of Yeah, we Yeah. Um yeah, living our best wholehearted lives, I guess. But mm. um yeah, I mean I guess business wise we're building the business and we're that like we've taken this year to really put some time and effort into that. Um and we've got some holidays planned and yeah, we're trying for the baby. So I think that's enough <laughs> for us. Yeah. And I guess, you know, continue with my treatment. Mm. Mm. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on and, and for sharing your story. And um, yeah, I just think you're awesome. I just, I just love how, yeah just how pragmatic and level-headed you are. I just, I just <laughs> need to take those pills and make that happen a lot more. For myself, so. <laughs> no, there's not, that. nothing wrong with how you, there's nothing wrong with how you feel and experience the world at all. Thank you for the opportunity. I, I really appreciate it. I think I've been very candid because it's just really comfortable, you know, really easy talking to you. And I, yes. I hope it's helpful for other women and the diverse experiences that we all have. Hey. Absolutely. Everyone's story's yeah. different, but it's kind of, there's it. so many similarities as well. Everyone totally. Yeah. Same thing with just a different yep. on it. So. Yep. yep. Awesome. Well, thank you. Um, thank Beautiful. You everyone. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, this was episode 12. Please like, comment, share, leave reviews, whatever you can. would love to hear. Um, we'll have these stories heard by as many people as possible. Thank you.